0: the most dangerous times is for victims of domestic violence is leaving and i know um before i say any of that like the biggest mistake that you can make is tell a narcissistic abuser that you're trying to leave
1: yeah
0: and um i did that at least four times
2: (laughs) hello and welcome back to authentic one air with bruce alexander i'm your host bruce alexander Put some time aside right now and stay locked in, because this is going to be one of the most interesting investigations into authenticity I've done yet. Marilyn Pennyfeather is here, and we're going to get into surviving domestic abuse, trying to make it in the music industry, contact for past lives, and advocating for neurodivergence, plus much more after today's reflection. Today, I want to think about the difference between authenticity and honoring yourself and just failing to grow. The last time you said, that's just the way I am was someone on the receiving end of your units being hurt. Is that who you are? A person who hurts people unapologetically and has no desire to evolve? This might seem like obvious behavior to many, but this used to be me. And this is what I grew up with. The phrase that was the soundtrack to my childhood, I don't write the news, I just report it as I see it. That was code for, I just said something out of pocket to you, and you don't deserve an apology. It took a lot of intentional work for me to unlearn that view of authenticity. This is just who I am. Deal with it. If you are listening to this show and still applying that principle to your life and relationships, I accept you as you are in your journey, but I challenge you to reject the idea that we are ever done. Take some time to reflect on your existence and the relationships in your life and be brutally honest about the quality of what you find. Are the connections that are important to you suffering because of your stunted growth? It is never too late to take accountability for your fault in the decline in or failure of a relationship. I can't promise you any resulting outcome for those relationships, but I can guarantee that if you clean up your emotional litter and continue to keep your side of the street clean, the quality of your relationships that you maintain will start to improve, as will the quality of the connections you attract. I would love to hear from the authentic audience. Tell me if you have embraced the boundless nature of personal growth, or if you have gotten stuck in the this is just who I am thinking. Go to the episode 24 reflection post on Instagram, Facebook, threads, or LinkedIn at Authentic Identity Management. If you are tired of hurting people but need help getting out of that detrimental philosophy, type stuck in the comments section and I will take the lead and contact you and set up a free 30-minute consultation to learn how I can help you start living more authentically. If you love the space we are creating or want to help advance my mission of making the world a safer place for authenticity, here are a few ways you can support the show. Leave a review and tell me what you think is great, needs work, or what you would like to see more of in the show. Follow the show in your favorite podcast platform or all the platforms you use. Use that share function. Send an episode of this show to someone you care about or post about it in your social media feeds and in your stories. These are all free ways to support the Authentic Mission. If you aren't comfortable being a spokesperson for authenticity, you can be a financial backer of the Authentic Mission by going to Patreon and searching Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander and signing up for membership. I am dedicated to the work of this mission long term, but I would love your help in more quickly making the world a safer place to show up as yourself. My guest today has the distinguished honor to be the first two-time guest with an asterisk. Taylor Doe did make a second appearance for a very special episode 20, where I took the guest seat in the Authentic On Air studio, and he pirated my host title. If you haven't checked that out, put that next in your playlist right now. It was such an engaging conversation and a great opportunity to get to know me, my motivation, and my mission a lot better. Marilyn Pittyfeather first appeared as guest as one half of the Marvelous Mystonic Buggles podcast team. She is back today to talk about her story as an individual, and this is guaranteed to deliver some fresh content. That I have definitely not approached before. ADHD, autistic, disabled, musician, yoga practitioner, abuse survivor, stay-at-home mother, educator, advocate, visionary, reiki healer are some, but not all the ways Marilyn identifies. She characterizes herself as a jack-of-all-trades and a master of many. I know already that Marilyn and I don't agree on everything, but I loved her energy so much. She carried that with her from the very start. As a fellow ADHDer, I appreciate her ability to be well-versed in so many facets but even more so appreciate her support of The Authentic Mission. Through her own podcast and enthusiastic support of my podcast, and her use of social media as a platform, she is actively in line with the objective of making the world a safer place to show up as yourself daily. I'm going to end the intro there because I am positive we are going to use up every moment of my two-hour recording window. <laughs> engaged in intense conversation. I can't wait to get into it. Welcome to the show, Marilyn Pennyfeather.
0: Hi! I'm so excited to be back. Yay! I be,
2: there's an applause button. I, yeah. I should use that. <laughs> <Thanks> <laughs> I don't know if I want the me. show to be that corny. <laughs>
0: hey, I love corny.
1: I'm into that corn. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so before we get too deep into it, I'm very happy to have you back on. But let's start with you telling me in your own words how you spend the majority of your time, why you think I invited you on the show, and like really who you are.
0: Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. Okay. Might have to break that down. Um, so... Right now I am spending a lot of my time healing. Um I escaped a 12 year domestic violence relationship last year last January and so um it's crazy to think we're coming up on 2 years already like it's went by really fast but um that has been my sole mission is to heal and I don't feel like anyone can ever truly be completely healed. And I don't think that that's the goal because then that, that would mean that there's nothing left. Like what's after you're healed, you know what I mean? Like what happens when you get to that destination? So I feel like there's always ways for us to heal and evolve, like you said, um ways to transform and transmutate our energy. And so um that is really what I've been dedicating myself to is just healing and resetting my nervous system, you know, when you are in a chronic state of survival mode, um, living in that type of abuse, when your environment is primarily, um, chaos and dysfunction, your body goes into a hyper, um, uh, like, you're more hyper-aware, you're in hyper-vigilance, you're in survival, and so that sends your body into, like, a sympathetic state, and your nervous system can't regulate, so I'm trying to get back to the parasympathetic state and
2: relax, so <laughs> which is to, easier
0: said than done.
2: <laughs> to dumb that down a little bit, you're trying to get back from your upstairs brain down into your downstairs brain.
0: Pretty much. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay, yeah. I feel that. Yeah, so... Um, but aside from that, like, um, I did, um, last year I got put on disability and it's something that I was fighting for two years for. I ended up having to get an attorney to help because I was denied the first two times. And, um, I have lived the majority of my life since I was like 17, 18 years old with chronic pain. Um, I started out like having migraines, um, like very early on, like I remember being in junior high and like calling to come home because like my migraines were so severe. And then it just kind of like progressed to having like numerous surgeries for different things, being in a car accident that left me with nerve damage. Um, and then, um, as a result of being in violent relationships like that is really like hard on the immune system. And so it develops like chronic illnesses, such as like fibromyalgia, RA. And so um, I knew that I needed help, you know, and I struggled with working because like as an ADHDer, like it is really difficult to work. Like it's very hard to find a job. Um, And I know everyone's experience is different. For me, um, I always struggled with having jobs. Like I've had like a million jobs jobs since I was like 15, you know, grocery store, Walgreens. Um, I will say like one of the funnest jobs I had was I managed a shoe store, I managed journeys. And that was really, that was something I could do. Like I really felt strong and confident because I got to do things that I never thought I was capable of doing and i was able to just like be myself which was really awesome and you get to connect with different people every day and
1: sell them cool shoes you know
0: <laughs> so
1: and also that discount though right
0: um yeah it was like 40 percent off okay. so my kick game was strong back then you know i got them reeboks you know them converse so that's where like my paycheck went. um but yeah it was really difficult so i was like always wanting to like do what I wanted to do and I loved to sing. I grew up singing in the church. And then I um I had always done hair. My mother had did hair, but she wasn't like well versed in like natural curly hair or anything. And because I grew up in the black community, like I was just so like fascinated with black hair and natural curly hair. So like I really just wanted to learn how to do that. So I had a friend that um taught me how to do cornrows. I think I was in like seventh grade. And then I just like continued. And then I ended up getting um my I'm a licensed hair braider. Uh I took that test, I think 2014. And then um I worked in the salon for a little bit, which was really overstimulating and emotionally taxing. Um I think if I would have like been in my own little suite, it would have been different because like the vibe that I wanted to create was like just really chill you know I was always playing like Erica Badu or you know Jill Scott like mm-hmm. things like that just very like chill and it's really it was really difficult and challenging being a white person in an all-white salon who primarily just served black clients mm-hmm. so like that was really difficult for my clients as well yeah. so it just didn't really feel like a safe environment all the time so I like just started doing house calls and going to people's houses where it was just more comfortable. Um, And then, you know, it just got to the point when COVID happened, I just, I couldn't anymore. So um, my health was just like really declining. And um, so, yeah, I got on disability last year and um, that has really given me an opportunity to like rest. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just do what I need to do to take care of myself because I knew that I needed that to be able to, one, financially provide for myself and my kids, um, getting out of my relationship, you know? And so, uh, my mind just went like. Really? I
1: forgot
0: what
2: you asked. Um, I want to get into a relationship eventually, but first let's, I want to make sure we set the proper framework. Sure. So can you tell me how you define authenticity?
1: Oh. Mm.
0: I think I would define that as just like.
1: Mm. my brain
0: wants to say like showing up as the highest version of yourself and I think that sometimes it's hard to get there because we don't see ourselves there especially like if you've been gaslighted a lot so you don't really know how to like trust yourself or believe that you're capable of those things but I do think that if you can envision what your highest self looks like and i've been able to do that a lot with like doing shadow work and journaling has really been helpful for that you'll eventually get there you know what i mean um and just like having like just like you talk to your inner child or past versions of yourself or whatever i think when you can also talk to the highest version of yourself like what would she say what would he say you know how how do you think that Um, they would speak to you when they speak life into you, like, you know, would they be uplifting and encouraging, you know, or would there be a lot of doubt, self-negative talk that I can't do this or I'm not capable or I'm not enough, you know, I don't think your highest self would talk like that, you know? And so I really had to like put myself in that place to be like, dang, like, I don't want to remain a victim my whole life either. But like, when do I get to like show up for myself? You
2: know, so you think that authentic? A, a, your authentic self has a lot more to do with aspiration and reality. Mm. I mean, I'm, can you like,
0: reframe that? Yes,
2: I can because I, I think that saying it's not real is not correct. Yeah, is it more about aspiration than perception? Like, what you're currently perceiving as who you actually are, you think it's more about who you want to be and trying to, you know, trying to. Have a conversation with that person?
0: Not necessarily, because I feel like your highest self is who you've always been. But we forget Mm. through conditioning, through. um, Like. Through society telling us we have to conform what we should and shouldn't be um the environments you were raised in so i think it's the person that you've always been so it's more about like returning home to that person like a homecoming you know and so and i feel like the closer and closer you get then you do start to remember oh dang like i have always been this i am worthy this is my birthright i've always been deserving of this kind of love and so it's really just about remembering
2: I think, I think that, that really helps for, for me to reframe it yeah. that way, is that you've always been there. Yeah. It's just getting back to that. Yeah, right. I, I love that. Thanks. So how would others describe you, both correctly and incorrectly?
1: Oh, I hate these
2: questions. <laughs> and t- so you can tell me why you hate that question. You can talk about that, too. Oh,
1: yeah. I think
0: because I've always struggled with, like, talking about myself so and it's it's like a uh I I don't know I've always struggled with giving myself like self-praise or anything like that because that wasn't the environment that I grew up in either and so it's really about like unlearning that that I'm allowed to celebrate myself I'm allowed to um, feel good about myself I'm allowed to be confident but I think for women in particular too it's like such a double-edged sword because it's like you know you should love yourself and self-love and you should be confident and you should love your body and you should do all these things and then when you do start to do those things why are you being so cocky why are you why are you being so self-absorbed or you know oh she just loves to show herself off or she just loves it and it's like so when do I get to fill up? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, yeah, questions like that have always like it's been hard to like talk about myself. So it's something I'm working through. Um, I would say, oh man, I don't know. Um, she's loving. She is kind. She is weird and outgoing and loves to just play. Um she's giving um eccentric maybe um talented, like well
2: versed. And do you do you identify with all those descriptions? I do.
0: So I think that's like a part of healing right now, like, yeah. like in this moment, really just like saying those things out loud to myself, knowing that like, those things are part of me and not all of one define who I am either, mm-hmm. you know what I mean?
2: So yeah. I, I think that I'm like, I'm really embracing the idea that, that those conversations of how to, uh, how would somebody else speak to me, both in this situation, somebody who loves me, yeah. somebody who knows me, how would they speak to me? And then talking to yourself that way, because I know that I, I am definitely terrible about negative self-talk. Yeah. You know, and I, and the effect that it does to you is like, it's like the person who is supposed to love you the very most
1: mm-hmm.
2: is giving you just terrible, terrible yeah. feedback, criticism all the time. Yeah. And your body can't really tell the difference. No. So you're you're wearing that. And mm-hmm. so it's I think it's really so important to think how would someone who loves me describe mm-hmm. me? What would they say? Right. And then realize that you love you. Right. So maybe you should say those things to yourself.
0: Yeah. It's easier said than done. One thousand percent
2: agree. I yeah. know it's hard. I, it's
0: I, really hard. And I think that's a part of like working through ego because like I think when we talk about like ego death, like Of course, we're not meaning it in a physical sense either, but (laughs) I think the goal isn't to get rid of ego because everything is about balance and ego is a part of who we are, but it's more about um, gaining control over your own mind and being in the driver's seat of that instead of allowing ego to always drive because that's where that negative self-chatter and everything comes in because that's its role Mm -hmm. you know is to create doubt fear worry you know insecurities or you can't trust anybody or you know these people are saying these things about you or you know and so it's just all of these seeds of lower vibrational thought and so i think when you can come to the point of awareness where you can just like observe and be like that's an interesting thought and then like not judge it and then let it pass and not give any action to it yeah you know where like you don't internalize that and just be like well that's a weird thought i just had well it's not true because thoughts are just thoughts so we, we get to choose what we accept as our truth or not. And that's really hard. Like if you were abused as a child or you grew up and entered into traumatic relationships or, you know, you were gaslighted, like there's so much insecurities and lack of um, just Inner knowing of yourself because you've been told of who you should be, that it's hard to really curate what that means. You know what I'm saying? Um, I just feel like it's very hard to navigate through as like trauma survivors because gaslighting causes like such severe psychological damage. And so like really gaining to learn that you can trust yourself and your intuition is like probably one of the hardest things to heal from.
2: I, I yeah I, I definitely I my intuition is not something that like I have a super strong connection to, mm-hmm. but I know how hard that can be you yeah. know, getting back to something you're supposed to believe. yeah, and you know you you were talking about having emotions and just observing them. Mm-hmm. I, I saw a video this morning about you know, it was like, oh, that was an interesting emotion. And mm-hmm. then it was just it was just a floating by, and yeah. then you just moved on. Yeah. And it's funny because I think that it's so easy for me. Like, I will have a positive thought about myself mm-hmm. and I, and I do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, oh, that was great. And that's like, it just in one ear out the other. Yeah. That happened. But like, I look in the mirror and I think, oh man, you're so overweight. And I yeah. never let that just flow through. Yeah. That that's the one that's like, well, now I'm going to just ruminate on that thought and mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to beat myself up mm-hmm. and make myself like, I would love to be where I can have both positive and negative thoughts and just let them flow through yeah. and not hang on to them. Well, that's I and mean, yeah. that's the goal, right?
0: <laughs> I I resonate with that so heavily because you know like our bodies are ever changing. We're not 12 years old anymore, and I think like I know that there's like stigmas on both sides of like such pressure to like look and be a certain way. But like with women, like you know again, there's that like look young. You gotta look young. You gotta look young. Everything, and it's like I'm I'm not 12 anymore. I have a woman's body. Yeah. You know, I don't have to yeah. like um not have a fupa or what whatever, whatever the case may be. Like, i flesh-colored fanny pack. I love you. <laughs> flesh I love you. Fanny pack. Oh yes. my god. Yes.
2: Wow, that's brand new. It's
0: so great. I'm You like, should
2: coin that term. This is
0: where like, you know, the Doritos, sit, you know, the Taco Bell like, you know. But like I think that when you can have like a balance and like for instance like with food I always had a really negative relationship with food and a lot of that was like developed from my abusive relationship because he was like super into working out. He had done steroids since he was 18. Like every, all the food was always regulated in the house. Like the nitpicking with me started, like, I mean, within like the first two months that we were even together, Mm -hmm. um, just slowly picking at you and making you feel insecure about yourself. And like, the way that narcissists will do it, they try to, they will give you criticism and try to say that they're doing it for your well being, like they're helping you. And so because you love that person, you believe them, like, okay, well, I trust them. Like he knows what he's talking about. Like, um, and so that became a really like heavy thing for me. And I, you know, when when you have like ADHD, like you hyperfixate. You know, so then I started having terrible like anxiety around food because then it felt like everything I ate was just shame. Like Mm -hmm. nothing that I ate, everything had a wrong ingredient or carbs or whatever or fat and macros, counting your macros and uh, you got to have a certain calorie intake and you went over your calories for the day and like I mean I had my fitness pal and there's nothing wrong with tracking your food and doing those things, but um being in an abusive relationship it was wrong and it was not okay and it was very detrimental to my health and how I viewed myself and I remember like the last um two years that I was in that relationship is when I start really started my healing journey while I was still in there which is crazy and um I stopped working out and um it was just like, I couldn't do it anymore because it wasn't fun. Like I hated going to the gym. Like I prefer to like go hiking or ride my bike or dance or, you know what I mean? Like I just hated the gym environment. It was just such toxic masculinity all the time. And like, I hated being sexualized going to the gym, you know? And so, um, I stopped working out and man, it was like, Shame, 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 and I, I just remember being so proud of myself for like standing up and like, you know, if me and the kids wanted ice cream one day, I would go get ice cream, and he was just like, "You don't need that," and I'm just like, "But I want it, so I'm gonna go get it," Hmm. and he was just like, "Well, I can't eat that, or I'll be over my calories for the day," and I'm like, "Okay, well, you don't have to eat it, but I want ice cream right now, so I'm gonna go get it." Yeah, you know, and like I was really starting to like set boundaries and stand up for myself. And I remember being in the kitchen one day and like the sun was just shining and I had shorts on and he started laughing and he was like, oh, my God, what is that? And I just immediately knew that he was talking about cellulite on my leg, which cellulite is not even a real thing. And we'll talk about that later. But like and he was like, when did you get that? And I was like, Oh, are you talking about my cellulite? I was like, it's always been there. And I was like, don't you love it? You know, and I was just like being super sarcastic. And I'm like, you know, it just made me realize like everything is projections, you know? So like he was projecting his own insecurities on me, but that doesn't mean that it didn't linger because it heavily did. And I've struggled really hard the last two years to like, have self-acceptance for my body and the way that it's changed because it fluctuated so much. Like before I left, like I got down to like 105 pounds
2: Good Lord. and how, how tall are you for people? I've won. So that's, <laughs> yeah, know, that's like a, what? 14, 13 year old. Like my yeah. daughter yeah. outweighs that by 15 pounds. My
0: 12 year old weighs yeah. like 180 she's, she's 14, pounds. So like yeah. everyone else, You know, bigger, taller than me. And last year, I was really doing a lot of body work. And I mean, like, forcing myself to stand in the mirror naked and look at every inch of me and, like, touch myself, get familiar with, like, honing in on my sensuality, my sexuality, and, like, all of the parts of myself that had been violated Mm -hmm. and having to really. Regain like safe physical touch with myself. Um, and that was really important for me. And so, I mean, like in the last like you know, year, I mean, I've gained like almost 20 pounds. I feel like that's a great thing. So, <laughs> so
2: I, I, I want to kind of stay at that moment because yeah. I like talking about standing in the mirror naked and like spending time with yourself there. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel super uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. that means like I want to talk about that a little bit yeah. because. I, like, I'm, I've never been sexually abused. I've mm-hmm. never been in an abusive relationship where I was the abused. I feel like mm-hmm. I have been unintentionally abusive and I have been a very bad partner many times, mm-hmm. even in my current marriage. I had to grow a lot before I, I could say, I think I was a, a good partner. Mm-hmm. Um, but being on the other side, I'm still terrified of that.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I think that, you know, there's some, some emotional abuse that comes from
1: mm-hmm. the way I
2: was raised okay. and my mom has always not always but as long as I can remember been overweight mm-hmm. my dad has had some weight issues mm-hmm. but they both put all of that on me
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so that idea of doing that makes me feel like just so nervous like
1: mm-hmm. how
2: does like how often did you do that What were your takeaways? What were the benefits? Like, what was the thought process?
0: I still do that because it's still hard. You know Mm. what I mean? Because like my body literally will change like from week to week. Like, I mean, I can have one day I wake up and like my stomach is so bloated. It looks like I've gained like four pounds, like just overnight. And then I'm like, nothing fit, you know? And so like, it's still like a daily struggle. And I just have to remind myself that like, I am doing the best that I can and, um, I'm making mindful choices and because I, I had to like really stop labeling things because everything was always labeled as like good and bad. Like this food is bad. This food is good. And I started following like, um, she was like a kid's nutritionist and she teaches like, uh, like eating in color and like mindful eating. And I like using that term better because. I feel like when we put labels on things, it really limits, you know, um, how we view food and then plus like the way that our food is now, everything is like genetically modified or there's preservatives. It's like, you really are just doing the best that you can because this is what we're given. So unless you're growing your own garden, like everything has shit in it and like, it sucks. You know what I mean? So I just had to really learn especially like with raising kids that I I don't want to carry that over and I I want to be mindful in the way that I talk about food so like even with um like sugar say we're talking about sugar instead of like saying that's bad I can give a description of like what say like a bag of skittles um well this is going to give us energy really really quick and then we're going to have a crash later. And then whereas like if we eat fruit, that's going to give us sustainable energy to last us through the day and we're not going to have that big crash. Yeah. So we're not saying there's anything wrong with having skittles. I'm just giving them like logic and reason of this is what it does to your body. And so um like we still have those things, you know what I mean? And I think that's what life is about balance. And so when it comes to how you view yourself physically, you have to have grace and compassion because like we didn't choose these skin bags, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we were just, this is what we got, you know what I mean? And so my appearance has changed so much over the years. Like, I mean, I used to have hair like down on my butt. And that was always, like, I felt like that was, like, my sole identity for, like, the longest because that's how everybody, like, would identify me was, like, by my hair. Mm -hmm. Um, And it became one of those things where it was just, like, truly, like, heavy. Like, not just in the physical sense, but, like, emotionally, I felt like my hair was carrying, like, a lot of pain.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So, I mean, even just yesterday, I mean, I just shaved it because I was just, like, ugh, I just want to feel free, (laughs) you know? um but it's still like a daily struggle I still look in the mirror and like I grab my stomach and my sides, and it's more like I don't look at it as like disgust I'm just like that's interesting like my body is like changing you know what I mean and
2: is that is that really what you're thinking or is that what you're trying to think
0: um I feel like it's a mixture of both because I'm still learning to have grace and compassion in the ways that, like, my body doesn't look the same as it did like five years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, because like I haven't been working out like that. I've lost a lot of muscle mass, you know, like I went from, you know, being so proud that I could like leg press like 365 pounds. And now I'm like doing leg extensions and it's like 60 pounds, you know, and so I have to like really be careful with my own thoughts because you know I was diagnosed with major depression disorder and anxiety and stuff as well and like that's a slippery slope you know and if you have ADHD on top of that like you were talking about you can ruminate and ruminate and ruminate ruminate yeah. guilt 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 and so I think I would be it would be very dishonest of me to say that I didn't have those thoughts about myself like I think that that's just a part of being human. Like, I don't, I don't really feel like anyone is ever 100% happy, like every single day. I think that's an unrealistic expectation as far
2: as like happiness is not really the goal.
0: No, it's not.
2: (laughs) My wife and I've had this conversation many times because I used to say, really, I I don't care. I just want to be happy. And that's not at all true anymore. Like, I I want to live a life of purpose.
1: Mm.
2: I want to be purposeful.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I want to have intention. Those Mm. are the things that are important to me now. It's like, there's going to be pain and there's going to be suffering, but I want, I want to be living for something. I want to live for my children. I want to live to grow. And you know, and that's the difference. It's like, I just want to be happy. And I was happy spending 12 hours a day on the couch, watching golf, watching TV, playing video games. And I was quote unquote happy. Wow. But I mean, but looking back on that time is like, wow, that was a lot of waste of time. That's huge, though. I love that. I really do love that.
0: That's great. Yeah. (laughs) Air high five.
2: Um, Yeah. I just, I I appreciate your openness about that because, you know, I asked that question because I don't want anybody to think that you're ever fully there. No. You know, a lot of, you know, especially whenever it comes to fitness, people Mm -hmm. will say, you know, like my body is amazing. Like, you know, I look at my body and think how, how great it is and wow. how much I love its function and this and that. And it's like, you might think those thoughts and I, you know, I'm really glad that you do. But if you deny the fact those other thoughts ever come up, mm-hmm. then you're, you're, you're not being authentic. No. And you're putting out a, a false, uh, a false narrative mm-hmm. out there to people who are going to aspire to that. Right. And then beat themselves up and they fall right. short. And that's yeah. what I, I really just want to avoid any more of that. Yeah. Of adding that into, into the universe of,
0: it's like a toxic positivity. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean. And like that's the thing. Like I and I think one of the things for me was like because especially he was always so well too. Like I had as a child and even as an adult, like my mother would make comments on my body, Same. and so like I I was always like thicker, like you know growing up and I had curves and so. Like as a white girl too, having curves, like that was just like another thing. And like for my mom, it was like shame. And so she would always make comments about like, you know, oh, your butt looks so big or, you know, just, and it was like, it should have been a compliment, you know what I'm saying? But like coming from her, everything about my body was like nasty or shameful, like me shaving my vagina for the first time you're so nasty and i'm just like what is nasty about that like
2: what is why do you have why any, is, any say in this no. conversation
0: and it's just like everything if i you know wore certain clothes or anytime i change my like she will tell you like i don't like it and i'm like well then don't cut your hair that way you know cool. it,
2: White women have been America's standard of beauty for Mm -hmm. a a long time. And it has only become like really like I'd say in the last ten years maybe has it been widely accepted for a white woman who is on the like thicker side Mm. to be considered widely attractive. Yeah. And I think that's crazy. Yeah. Because I mean, that's the natural like the natural state of many people's bodies. Yes. And the fact that we ever had like an ideal of what Mm -hmm. standard beauty was Mm -hmm. is really one of the most ridiculous thoughts that I've ever bought into. Even Marilyn Monroe was like, I think a size 14 or 16. Marilyn Monroe was Jewish thick.
0: Yes. And so like, it's wild to think that like how that got there, even for body hair, um, body hair was something that was always seen as a thing of beauty and was normalized. And then white men, you know, Mm At some point, um, God, I think it was in like the 1930s or maybe 20s, um, it became a thing where they started like saying like, oh, like women needed to shave. So then they started associating black people or people of color having body hair with like animals or whatever, mm-hmm. and then they started to put white women on the covers with shaved armpits, and then promoting razors and things like that you don't want to look like this you know and so like that just goes I, to show I wonder
2: you, how much does that have to do with the razor industry oh I'm sure like I heard something <laughs> recently about um oh, about the creation of of like pr- the proposal how mm-hmm. uh, that was like I think it was Tiffany's kind of made the diamond ring mm-hmm. a thing like if you don't propose to your wife the diamond ring then you don't love her, right? And that was in the early 1900s, mm-hmm. and it became this this lie that we all bought. Fear. And it was like, well, I don't want to. I don't want her to think that I don't love her, so I better yeah. come with a diamond ring. I am going to be rejected. And <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and how long has that? I mean, I feel like this. The last five, ten years has kind of been awakening of a lot of things, mm-hmm. but that's something that is like no longer so widely accepted to where right. you have to come with a ring that is what like three months of your salary, or right?
1: Something? Yeah, like.
2: Tiffany's got you like they I mean they hook line and say your best marketing ever done because for you know almost a hundred years they made people think that they had to spend up to 125,000 dollars on a ring if they made you know that much in three months right it's wild
0: it is wild so wild yeah I feel like the majority of our culture is really just perpetuated by fear like with anything I mean Whether you look at holidays or anything, everything is like, if you don't have this, you know, you're excluded or...
2: um, You're the other. You're the other, yeah. Yeah. Othering is very, very popular (laughs) in our society. And that's, you know, I'm not going to say that it's going away anytime soon. Like, I other people about the iPhone. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you're still using an Android, you know, you got got the green tech bubble, like, are we even (laughs)
1: Like, like.
2: And, you know, I I didn't ever really think about what I was putting out there whenever Mm -hmm. I said that until recently. It was like, oh, my God, I'm like, I'm othering people. Like, I'm this person who really likes to think that my friends are somebody who finds acceptance in me. Mm -hmm. But then I make fun of them for choosing a different path on this one thing. Right. Although you know, although it's jokingly, it's kind of toxic,
1: yeah, it is
2: it's yeah. Like, oh, do I is that what I want to put out there yeah, and so i've I've had to you know look at that, so
1: that's great
2: there you said something a while back that I want to get back to, um you talked about kind of small wins that you had setting boundaries in your abusive relationship. It's often looked at kind of so black and white like yeah. either you leave or you're losing, mm. do you think that it was? necessary for you to like build the foundation of small wins to have the have the kind of base built to actually have a successful exit out of that relationship
0: well it wasn't successful like it wasn't a successful it was a dangerous exit um i
2: meant to to be out on the other side no for sure
0: but um like that is one of the most dangerous times is for victims of domestic violence is leaving and i know. Um, before I say any of that, like the biggest mistake that you can make is tell a narcissistic abuser that you're trying to leave. Yeah. And, um, I did that at least four times, you know? And so that was a huge
2: mistake. And I think for
0: me, because.
2: You tell us why it's a huge mistake. Cause I, I know that there's a couple of things that you're thinking of, but I want other people who don't have your, you know training and your education to
0: understand well um especially for like malignant and covert narcissists like they can be extremely dangerous and violent um the uh, majority of narcissistic abuse is psychological um and only about 10 percent of abuse is physical in these relationships which normally does not occur until a victim is trying to leave yeah um and so During that time, there are so many tactics that narcissistic abusers use to further control their victims, to wear them down emotionally. Um, Sleep deprivation is one of them, which means that they will keep you in circulatory word salad conversations for two to three hours at a time to drain you physically, emotionally. So that way you don't have energy left to do anything else. So, like, I mean, and they'll wake you up at 12 o'clock at night, you know, fling open the door, rip the covers off of you, turn the light on in the bathroom, um, you know, and produce these circulatory conversations to just keep you. And then the next day um, they will be like, they'll gaslight you about why you're tired and guilt you like if you're sleeping or taking a nap. Um like I know one day this is like right before Christmas he had did that and kept me up until three o'clock in the morning. And um the next day he was love bombing the kids and was like playing a board game that we had been saying that we were going to play all week.
2: Love bombing real quick.
0: Love bombing. Yes. Love bombing is a um part of emotional abuse. Love bombing is a term that's also kind of like associated with intermittent reinforcement, um, which is where they will produce these grand gestures like um, they might act like they're getting better. Say they're getting help, um, promising to go on future trips like I bought a trip to Disney World or um, going on a cat win or booked a cabin trip, because I know you've been talking about that for the last 10 years, you know.
2: Calling a therapist. Calling saying, a
0: therapist. Yeah, I,
2: I'm, I'm starting to work on myself. Yeah,
0: the military is helping me. They put me on antidepressants and um, anything that they can say and do to re-hook a victim
2: Which stay. Which they want to make it look like they've heard your complaints mm-hmm. and they're acting on it and being, quote unquote, better.
0: Well, right. and that's one of the, uh, a mistake as well is telling a narcissist the ways that they've hurt you because they will weaponize, they weaponize anything that you say. Mm. Anything you can say will be used against you, but yeah. particularly that if you tell a narcissist the ways that they've wronged you, hurt you, abused you, that will be heavily weaponized. Um, and they will start to, it can happen of one of two ways, like, um, it will further escalate abuse or it will further escalate the what's called like hoovering or hovering um, where they are just like on you all the time. Like, I mean, following you around the house, harassing you, um, following your car, where you're going, checking. Hey, did you make it to the store? Well, how long are you going to be there? Controlling your every move. And so um,
2: I just went blank again. So did you ask? so uh, we, we kind of covered love bombing a little bit what that looks like and you were telling me about how he had kept you up until
1: three o'clock around christmas
0: yes okay yes Yes. okay yes the game so um he was doing that and he came in and i i was like wow like you guys were just like playing the game without me and then he was just like um he was like yeah he was like i was wondering why you know, you were in there sleeping and I was like, I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, you kept me up until three o'clock in the morning and I'm tired because I already have chronic illnesses. And so I'm like fatigued anyway. And he was like, yeah, it's probably because of like, you just drive around so much all the time and you're always going places, picking the kids up from school, going to the grocery store, little things like that, you know? And so like, that's a way of like gaslighting you and then say like, I don't know what you're talking about Like that didn't happen,
1: Mm.
0: you know? Um, And then like, oh yeah, like me and the kids had so much fun, you know, things like that. Yeah. We really wanted you to come out there and play, but you know, you were taking a nap, you know? And so it's, it's a way to um, weaponize the ways that they've hurt you and to continue to do that. And they will use the children in order to do that. Especially if you have children with a narcissist.
2: So you know, the, the original question was like, yeah. Did you, did you feel like that foundation of those small wins That's created, right. you know, created a, a successful exit? And so we, we, yes. we okay. Kind of figured out <laughs> it was not a successful exit; it was a no, dangerous exit. It would. But you were successful in leaving, correct? And do you feel like that would have been? I think. I mean, I guess I do. If you listen to the previous episode, we kind of talked about how she did leave once, and mm-hmm. she ended up coming back. Were you lacking that? That uh, those boundaries that you had started to set and those that confidence you started to gain yourself whenever you left the first time?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, when I left the first time, um, this was 2018 and actually the previous year or so, we chose to have another child in 2015 and um, I had my tubes tied.
2: Did we choose or did
0: we both chose. Okay. Like we, we. It was a mutual agreement. Like I took out my birth control. Like I, I had always wanted two children. Um, and it was one of those phases. Like they will say things, um, to pretend to play like they want things, or you know, you're doing things together, and then when it happens, like they have no interest in raising their children or taking care of their children. And in fact, many narcissistic abusers are often jealous of like their own children. Like I had like a Facebook message when we first got together and um that's how we communicated even when we were overseas. We spent the first three years of our life in Japan. And Dakin uh my son was sick one time and I sent a picture and I was like, he's, you know, you can tell he's not feeling very well because he's just not wanting me to hold him like all day. And he was like, fuck him.
1: Hmm.
0: you Um. know and just having that type of reaction to any attention that was not on him even with his own children Hmm. and so back to your question um I felt like having boundaries that was something I didn't even know was a thing because I never had was taught boundaries as a child. My mother overrode that all the time. Like I had no privacy or, you know, busting in my room or always, what are you doing in there? What are you doing in there? Mm -hmm. I just, I never had any privacy.
2: Was your mom a narcissist?
0: Yeah, she is. Um, she is more of like a, there's different classifications of narcissists and there's all different types of narcissists. And my mother was very abusive as a child. Um, we can get into that later, but, um, Uh, She's more of like a level one narcissist. And so I think um, the patterns that were shown to her as a child um, carried over with her. And I was just the one that she took that out on. And so like now as an adult, she still is who she is, but she's not physically abusive. She's not um, emotionally abusive. Um, and it's more of something that I've had to reparent, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and set boundaries and that's a whole healing journey itself. We'll go down that road. <laughs>
2: I will briefly say yeah. for anybody who's listening, if you don't know this, whenever you become adult an adult, you're, you're supposed to start parenting yourself. Yeah. And this is something I never considered. I didn't, I didn't ever think about that whole Thought process until this year. Mm -hmm. You know, I I consider myself a pretty progressive, and you know, and person who's like really focused on my personal growth. Mm -hmm. But I'd never thought about the fact that in the absence of your parents, Mm -hmm. it becomes your job to do what your parents were supposed to do.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: if they did it wrong, you gotta you gotta start further back. Mm -hmm. And you gotta not not wrong if they didn't do what you needed. I'd right. say that yeah. because, you know, for whatever reason, we got to have grace for our parents. And yeah.
0: we're still holding them accountable.
2: Yes. I was actually going to ask that. Yeah. Um, as a narcissist, does your mom accept culpability for the things that you went through?
0: She has um, to an extent. So it's, it's she's participated in therapy conversations um, or sessions with us as a family. Um, because since we are living with them, you know, it's very important for them to have the awareness of what my children need, what they're going through, that there was still an act of trauma and have the understanding of what I went through in that, you know, um, this is not about placing blame and I don't, I don't need an apology or anything like that. Um. I mean, I spent like 30 years of my life, like blaming my mom, you know what I mean? For things and it wasn't serving me, you know what yeah. I mean? And I, I was, I, cause I was seeking that from her. I just wanted her to hear me and validate my pain. Um, but I had to realize like she wasn't capable of doing that. And so I needed to give that healing and like love to myself because I was searching for that outside of me. And, um, So fast forward to now, like she does. And she is my mom is something she's always been capable of empathy. Like she's always had great empathy. And um she's super, super like helpful with other people. And now, granted, like with narcissists, like that's a common thing. Like they're more kind, more helpful to other people outside of the house than they are with you. Um, but I think. Now that I'm able to have clarity and even, I mean, even just within the last week, I've had really beautiful childhood memories that have came up with my mom. And so that's been very healing for me to like, because I was always, when you're in active trauma, like you are, your body blocks out everything else. And that's all you can remember is the bad. Yeah. And so it was very important for me in my healing journey to remember the good things. So I would get out photo albums and like look at pictures so I could see my face, see my little eyes and see like what I was feeling in that moment, you know, and, um, now, you know, she's opened up about her childhood and, um, and I've, she's in a more receiving space where she's able to see in the ways that that carried over. You know, and I think that's been such a beautiful thing. And she's getting less reactive and less reactive because, um, you know, as a child, it's not your job to parent your parents. And I've had to, like, really understand that she didn't have an example of what love was. Her mother never told her she even loved her. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, Like there was a situation that happened and um, it's like if you would try to address something with her, her immediate response is to get defensive and deflect. And I remember looking at her and I grabbed her and I looked at her and I said, I love you. And I said, no one is attacking you. You don't have to get defensive. I love you. And I'm coming to you with love. Because I love you, that's why I'm telling you these things, so that way we can learn how to communicate in a healthier way. And I hugged her, and she just put her head on my shoulder, and she got emotional, and I said, you don't have to be in survival anymore. You don't have to be defensive, because no one is attacking you, and it's okay to make mistakes. But like having these conversations is important because this is how we course correct. This is how we literally change DNA is by having these uncomfortable conversations. And I remember being in a therapy session and um, the therapist, my mom, you know, was disassociating and deflecting. And she was like, she validated that. And she said, I can see that you're really struggling to stay present in this conversation. And it's uncomfortable, you know, and my mom got emotional and she was like, it is. And she said, because we didn't know that she was going through that. And so it was very hard for her to like, accept that that was happening. And especially with the kids and the things that my children have experienced at the hands of their father. And so that was very hard for her. And she was like, I just feel so helpless because i didn't know and i didn't know what to do and it's like her and my dad were saying you know they they kind of always had some type of like inner knowing but they were afraid to say anything and they were like you know because we didn't want to upset you or you know uh we just wanted you to be happy and you know things like that
2: and that inner knowing was that You were in an abusive relationship. Yeah,
0: like they, I think they knew from the beginning, um, because of things that happened and um, that were in my own house, like with him, and uh, and then times like when me and the children would come stay for a week at a time, you know, and so, but never would say anything why, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I think they had an inner knowing, but it was really hard to know what to do, um, as a parent, and because
1: that's another question. Yeah. Do you
2: is, is narcissism a state that you can move out of, or is that something that you are a narcissist? Because it seems like your, your mother is has moved on the spectrum of her narcissism and being able to be more mindful of other people.
0: So um you can have narcissistic traits that you have carried over from a parenthood child relationship. But true NPD is often something that is not curable because it requires taking accountability. Um, And that's why like, God, I think it's like maybe like 2% or a little bit more people get diagnosed with NPD because nobody wants to go to counseling or therapy, like, because that requires accountability.
2: So do you think that your mom just had narcissistic traits that she had? I
0: condition do. In? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't, I don't um, think that she has NPD at all. And and this is also something coming from my therapist who is a clinical, clinically trained in narcissism and she's mm-hmm. a psychotherapist. And um, that's very important to when looking for a therapist, if anyone, victim survivors um, have experienced anything like this, even if it's just from a parent, is making sure to find a therapist that is knowledgeable on narcissism because it is a slippery slope if you don't, because there are many like even spiritual gurus, um, counselors, therapists that can um, really do a lot of damage to victims. That way they will further gaslight self blame. They will try to um, encourage victims to stay with abusers, to work things out, to reconnect with their parents and make it their responsibility. You just need to forgive. You just need to forgive. And so without having someone that has that type of training, you just have to be very careful. And then if you're, if there's people that are in relationships with narcissistic abusers, and they get into a relationship like that and they don't have a therapist that is trained they will manipulate those therapy sessions yeah. and i mean i had that happen in our first session cuz it was with like a church counselor <laughs> you know yeah and it was like you know i had religious indoctrination so heavily too you know um but yeah like it's been really healing for us as a family, especially being in my childhood home, that like caused me so significant pain to be in a place where love can grow. Yeah. And you can heal in small spaces. And I knew that if I could if I could bring healing in that space, the space that I was hurt in as a child, then I could do anything you know, and so I really let that, like, feel me, but um, I want to go back to your question about when I first left,
1: like...
2: well, real quick, before you said, yeah. that, I just want to, you said finding somebody, a specialist in narcissism, mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that we, if you're dealing with any specific, like, I don't know, like, personality or, like, disease or mental problem or whatever, yeah. I, I would always highly suggest finding a specialist in that Absolutely. thing because I mean, if you have cancer, you're gonna go to the oncologist, right? You know, if you just have, you know, if you have general like I don't feel great mentally, mm-hmm. that's just like a general psychotherapist. Like yes. Just like you just go get a physical from a yes. general practitioner. So mm-hmm. just you know, find the person that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking to Dan Moyer in last episode about finding somebody that you like, mm-hmm. and by like, I don't mean that is telling you everything that you want to hear, but somebody Mm -hmm. that you feel like you can open up to.
0: And I was going to hold you accountable for you. And like, I know, like, man, it took me four sessions to be truthful in my therapy session because I was in such a state of denial, you know, and she already saw through me, you know, (laughs) when I finally, you know, told her the truth that I was just like, "I, I need to get out. Like I'm trying to leave, you know, she was like, there she is. You know what I mean? Thank you. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Like, so, yeah, I just to say that real quick. So you wanted to go back to... Yes.
0: Yeah. And a disclaimer, too. Like, I am not a licensed psychotherapist, psychologist, um, mental health professional. I am just a certified um, narcissist,
2: narcissistic abuse educator. So that is my rub. Yeah, I think you're sticking to it pretty well. You're Thanks.
1: answering,
2: giving me some good information. Yes. Um, so you said that you wanted to go back to the question that I asked. And mm-hmm. I wanted to say that before. I don't yeah, know that's okay.
1: That.
0: ADHD. Absolutely. Um, so when I first left in 2018, so we had just had, whew, I went from, so he had, when we first got together, he was already married.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He already had, he actually had three children. He had a, a stepchild and then two daughters. And um i didn't know that he was married whenever we got together he wasn't living with her he was living in a a friend's house where somehow we mutually met because i was living with um a friend at that time and um things just happened like super freaking fast i mean like within seven months i was married and pregnant and moving to another country wow yep
2: so his divorce like went really quick as well. Absolutely.
0: Yep. Um he was like saying that he had already filed and he like showed me the paperwork, but he hadn't like went and filed the paperwork is right. what I meant. Um and, you know, making her out she's crazy, she's bipolar, she's which is very, very common um in narcissistic um relationships. They will always talk about their exes that way. Um, And this is a part of what is called triangulation. This is the drama triangle where they will play the persecutor, the rescuer, the victim, the persecutor, rescuer, the victim. And it always interchanges whichever role they want to be in, whichever serves them in that moment. So there he was playing both. He was admitting to ways that he had abused her and then talked about how they were abusive to each other. And. It's amazing the things that he would tell me that, like, none of it was, like, a red flag for me. Because in my mind, as an empath, I was like, oh, look at him. He's taking accountability. He's wanting to do better. He's not going to cheat on his wife with the neighbor. Like, (laughs) you
2: know? Like, let me ask you, how much of that do you think has to do with your autism?
0: Oh, a huge amount.
2: Do you you think if you had had an earlier diagnosis, you might have been more aware not to trust what every like what every person says of face value. I was
0: I was very, very, very naive. Very naive and very vulnerable. Um and two, because of the relationship with my mom, like that was used as a weapon because I'm an only child too. So I only have to see my parents. Yeah. And um and so I I I think two with delayed processing. Um, And with conversations with narcissists, when things happen so fast, and then when you're also in a state of survival, like I yearned for that type of love. I just wanted to be loved. You know, I mean, I looked for relationships with other people's mothers because I didn't have that with my own either. Hmm. And so, you know, I entered into relationships that were also narcissistic and chaotic and dysfunction because that's. What I knew, I was taught to associate love with abuse. Yeah. And this is because I love you. You know, this hurts me more than it
2: hurts you. And 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 with being on the spectrum, you feel like you internalize those things even further. Oh, absolutely. Do you think that um, being on the spectrum kind of makes you the perfect victim for narcissistic abuse?
0: I think that... This question has came up before, and Latricia and I were talking about it in our podcast. Um, because there's a lot of people that there's a lot of uh, like mental health professionals that I have seen use this, and they'll say, you know, you got to work on like what tra- uh, attracted you to that person, mm-hmm. you know, so you can stop attracting people. And I feel like that's a very thin line that we we have to be so careful with because that can be associated with victim blaming yeah. and so while i do feel like it's important to take responsibility for your healing journey and notice things that are not serving you i don't ever want to let victims and survivors think that there's something within them that attracted them to an abuser because abusers are perpetrators. They are predators. And so they know exactly
1: what they're looking for.
2: So I I think that for me, maybe it's less about what attracted them to you because that feels very blaming to me, Yeah. but more what attracted you to them. Mm. Like, I feel like that distinction is very important because there are some Some pretty strong signals that are given early on that, you know, kind of like alpha male behavior that a lot of people, a lot of women can be attracted to. Mm -hmm. That if you're not careful, and you know, what you're actually looking for, Mm -hmm. you're looking for abuse signals.
0: Well, and that's a part of like the nervous system being conditioned to associate that with love. Yeah. Okay, so that's that is not a fault of your own. That's the fault of your childhood upbringing of not having a secure attachment style. So it's very disorganized. Your your nervous system is searching for that release of dopamine and cortisol. Where's the highs and lows? Okay, he's talking shit to me one day, and the next day, I love you so much. So those are those little doses of niceness and breadcrumbs and mm-hmm. leaving you a little trail to keep you on the edge of hope. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so. When we first got together, there wasn't any signs like that within the, within the first month, first couple of months, the signs that I see now, I didn't see them because they were so subtle, but yet so obvious at the same time. Like I have, you know, Facebook messages from when we first got together and, um, because my Facebook or his Facebook used to be my Facebook, but mm. he coerced me to create a joint account. Within the first month we were
1: together, I'm I'm yes. sorry that that
2: seems like a pretty yes, obvious. But in my segment. mind, I'm
0: like, "That he's so caring; he just wants to be with
2: me." Yes,
0: no <laughs> future The future stuff is like girl run for the hills.
2: And, and so, like, like I definitely don't ever want a victim blame. Like, yeah, you like, like I'm so sad for you then, mm. but I want. I want to encourage people to know better so that doesn't happen. That's why we're and, having
0: these conversations.
2: Yeah. And so like, it's it's so hard to like say that wasn't obvious, mm-hmm. but also say like, I understand that, that you didn't see it at that time. Yeah. I, I wasn't like, in a
0: conscious state of mind.
1: Yeah. That's, you know,
0: like so when right. you're in a state of unconsciousness, like when most people say, uh, like I had an attorney say to me, um, you know, yeah, but you did, but you did know better. And I'm like, but I didn't. Because if I did, I would have done differently. So I was doing the best with the information that I had at the time, and I didn't have the wisdom and the um, educational tools to know better. So to say that is really invalidating, because no one that's in a conscious state of mind would actively choose that.
2: Let, let you me, know, <laughs> let me add something to that because I think it's really important to say that. You know, everybody says know better, do mm-hmm. better. I like I I believe yeah. that, but also as a neurodivergent that's not necessarily true no. executive function is is a real thing oh. and my ability to know better and to do better do not always connect no like i, I want i want to say that if i know yeah. better, i'm gonna do better <laughs> i promise like i'll i'll yeah. say that and often i do but when i don't i have to have grace for myself and i you know i ask it from the people who love me as well but it's important for me to understand that I'm not always going to do better. Yeah. But that's also part of knowing better and doing better is like having grace for myself because I know that just because I know better, I'm not necessarily going to automatically do better. It takes a lot of repetition. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But like when you're, when you're talking about abusers though, like the difference between like apologies is like the person is validating your emotions they're taking accountability for the ways that they've hurt you. And it's not. Their apologies aren't self-serving, which with narcissists, when they apologize, it's I'm sorry, I'm such a piece of shit. Mm. I'm, I'm sorry, I just can't do anything right. Um, it's never about you. It's never about the ways they've hurt you. They're sorry that they got caught there. It's that way. The victim is the one that is consoling the abuser. And that is so wild. Like. Like one day I was sitting on the couch and he came and just slapped me in my face and thought it was like funny. And because he had a very sadistic way of like playing and always wanting to like play fight and things like that. And I've already had set boundaries of like, I don't do that. and I don't play like that. It's not fun for me. And that turned into literally a three hour conversation. And we just went in circles and it just became like, you just hold on to everything you just hold on to all of my past and you just can't see me for who I am today. And I'm like, but that's a part of keeping you in that cycle because they want you to have an emotional reaction. So they can be like, look at how you're acting, you know, and I have voice recordings of that, of him literally saying, wow, look at how you're acting right now. And I'm like, how am I acting? And he's like, You're being so loud. And I'm like, I'm literally talking to you, (laughs) you know, and like, you just, it makes you feel crazy, but that's the point.
1: Yeah.
0: They want you to feel crazy. They want you to feel like you're the one that's in the wrong, that they're not, that's what gaslighting is to, to make you think that everything you've experienced didn't happen. Like he could go from admitting that he did something one day in the next week. What are you talking about? Yeah. that never happened and you're like we just had a conversation about it he's like i don't remember that you know and i'm like here's what
2: here's, here's something i struggle with is i do that all the time with adhd too mm-hmm. It's like i'll you know i'll say that yeah that makes sense i'm I'm sorry that that happened yeah and then we'll have another conversation about something someone i'm like i don't remember saying that
1: that's now, different I, I know that it's yes. different
2: but you know i, I want to ask how much grace do you think you should give your past narcissistic abuser. Like, do you mm. think do you think they deserve? I mean, everybody deserves forgiveness in yourself, but like, does he deserve actual active forgiveness?
0: That's a that's a hard conversation. Yeah. That is. I think I've really struggled with that because one thing with forgiveness is that I've learned it's not for you, it's yeah. for me, because um, and I feel like it has to be a choice. And I think that people should choose to do what what feels good for them. Um, I do feel like um, acts of unforgiveness, not just for the not for the person, but for yourself. Okay. Um, acts of like when you're not forgiving yourself, um, that's more detrimental to your health than anything. Yeah, it's and totally bad. it is. And like, um, I feel like it's also a part of like allowing the other person to still have like control.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't, I don't want any part in that. You know, I deserve to be free from that, you know, and I deserve to like break those chains and, um, allow myself to fully just be loved in the ways that I'm deserving of. And like, I don't need, an apology from you and I don't need to <laughs> but as a, as
2: a as a full-on NPD mm-hmm. do you think that he ever had a choice to be somebody
1: different
0: um I do I think that well it's always a it's really really hard to dissect those because it's it's a family system Hey, but his mother is very narcissistic. She's very, very psychologically abusive, um, and not just with him as a child, from what I know, you know, but with me, with our children mm-hmm. as well. Very manipulative, um, and a lot of narcissistic mothers that have boys have a very um, emotional incest relationship with their sons. It's very; they have a very; it's an emeshment. So they kind of like look to their sons as like, um, it's their job to fulfill emotions for them, regulate, you know, especially if they're single moms, um, you know, they might dress their boys in ways that they would see grown men dress or, you know, whatever, um, putting them in modeling, like fulfilling those roles. And so again, everything comes back to, to her and how the child is serving her needs. Um, and when you don't serve those needs, then you're rejected. You're given the silent treatment. You're isolated. Um, and so, for him, I spent a lot of our relationship like trying to justify his abuse.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's grace and compassion and hope. You know, because those little glimpses of love bombing or doses of niceness, that's what kept me staying. because I'm like, oh, there he is. But I kept trying to see him for something that he wasn't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, that's how you get trapped very early on is the love bombing. They're everything that you could ever want. They're opening car doors. They're taking you out on dates. They're loving you and giving you affection and all of these things. And then
2: they're saying all the right things
0: saying all the right things Very and
2: good
0: so <laughs> man and then when you get in it it's the complete opposite and then it's like who was it so for me when i was in a whole nother country completely isolated like what was i gonna do i don't mm-hmm. have any friends there i don't know anyone you know i do have a cell phone at that time you know what i mean um and so uh you were talking about childhood. So there's a soul splitting that occurs. Like this kind of applies to Tesla's like three, six, nine. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar um, with that.
2: The <laughs> Nikolai Tesla. Like, yes. um, yeah. I was not. So it was like
1: the car. What? Yeah.
0: It's like, um so there's different developmental stages that happen, like not only on a neurological level, but on a
1: spiritual level,
0: like as you develop as a child. And like attachment styles, like, you know, zero to three months is a very important stage of where the child learns that they have a safe connection when they cry. Are their needs getting met? Or are they cry it out method? Are they being left alone? Are they so then they learn not to cry, you know, things like that. Um, and so a soul splitting can occur. And it usually happens around the age of like, between like seven and nine is really when um, a child starts developing like their sense of self, who they are trying to form their own identity outside of their parents. Well, when you have a narcissist as a parent, you are an extension of them. You are not yourself. You're not allowed to be yourself. You're not allowed to have your own identity because you are an extension of them. And you have to be and do and say and act how they want you to act. And if you're not those things, well, then I'm going to reject you. And if you don't fulfill those needs for me, I'm going to reject you. So it's all a cycle of I love you when you do the things that I want. And then I reject you when you do the things that are not what I want. So it's a, a cycle of rejection, abandonment, love, you know. And so I and think
2: that, you know, you said as a child, of, mm-hmm. if you are the child of a narcissist, which I'm increasingly sure that I am. Yeah you will find that that doesn't stop just because you're an adult. No. Our la- My last conversation with my mother was, um she was very, very, very upset at me because I wouldn't vaccinate our kids against COVID. And she, I told her like, hey, we're going to have to have stuff that we disagree on and need to be able to move on.
1: Yeah. Because,
2: you know, I don't want this to be what defines our relationship. Mm-hmm. And she started yelling at me and I I was like, you always do this. Mm -hmm. You always, you know, make everything about you. Like, And she's like, oh, now you're going to start talking about how crappy your childhood was. And, you know, she just was really upset. And then she said, you know, if I could change anything about you, I would change. And that crushed me.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Your mom's supposed to love you unconditionally.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Like, of course, we say things and, you know, Mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily mean, but Thinking of saying it's okay to change
1: your Mm -hmm.
2: child, like you know, I would. I I remember what she said because I I I shut down at the moment. Was like, I can't do this with you anymore. Mm -hmm. And she screamed some more and she hung up on me. Then she attempted suicide that night.
1: Wow, Um, which is very common.
2: Yeah, that that sounds about right. It it is very common. Lines right up Mm -hmm. and told you know told my stepfather that it was you know she just mixed up her medication. She is also um she has autoimmune disease she has fibromyalgia so she takes a lot of medication so it's believable but right. i know for a fact that it was a you know it was a stunt
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then she wouldn't talk to me afterwards
1: mm-hmm.
2: like i've tried to Sounds reach out
1: mm-hmm.
2: gave it to me for three months and then wow. reached out on my on the weekend it was my daughter's birthday easter and i keep forgetting. with it there's another big thing happening mm-hmm. that's the weekend she decides to text and is like i would like to try to start, you know. Re-entering this relationship Mm. and i'm like convenient Uh, there's a bunch of stuff happening about other people and now's the time that you want to you want to reach out and yeah no thank you yeah i'll pass it sucks it's hard it's very hard to cut somebody who's been such a big part of your life Mm -hmm. out because of the amount of toxicity they bring to the relationship and you know that's, that's
1: a whole
0: thing and i want to really commend you for that because it's a lonely road it's a lonely road and i think that i don't know why that made me emotional
2: um it was emotional for me too yeah people
0: don't understand like when you have to make an active choice like remove someone from your life that you love so dearly and you want so bad to have a connection with them And that's one of the hardest, but yet bravest choices that you have to make because it's it's about you and you're choosing you and people always use like the loyalty thing, you know, but their family, but their blood, but their family, but their blood. And it's like, that is never an excuse to tolerate mistreatment. But that has become the staple in our society, especially in religious indoctrination, you know, like, but it's your mom and you got to respect your elders and you got to do this. And it's like, no, you don't, you don't have to respect anyone that is mistreating you. No. And that, that is why that's how, how people end up in these abusive relationships. So easy too, is because that's how we're conditioned as a society, like from day one to tolerate mistreatment. Because people are older than us, it's like, Matilda, I'm big, you're small, you're right, you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. And so you're always made to feel so small, even through adulthood, that inner you is like, I can't do anything I can't think of. I got to tolerate this because she's
1: my mom.
2: And, and what, I, what I agree with about religion is that your elders do deserve respect. Yeah. They just. I mean, it's, but it's like, it's an exhaustible thing. Yeah, it's something that is not infinite. You don't get infinite respect. I'm gonna approach no. you with respect because you're an elder. I'm gonna respect you because you're mom. I'm gonna listen to you and you know try to take your advice in and give it a higher amount of weight <laughs> than other people's until you show me that you don't deserve that.
1: Yeah.
2: And as you continue to show me that you don't deserve that, you get less and less of my respect. Right. It's not perpetual. No. And that's that's where I feel like that toxicity of uh, religion is often you know what like held up is that they want to say no you need to keep respecting them mm-hmm. as if they've done something to earn that respect
0: correct and that's and even in like relationships when you be married because i stayed in my relationship for so long and went back because of a lot of that religious indoctrination i don't want to have a uh separate my house and i don't want my kids to grow up without a father and like all these things and then um you know, like, even when I was, like, seeing somebody else during the time we were separated, we were still married, and this was the first time I was trying to leave. He had already been having affairs, and, like, that was very common because one thing they'll do as well is, like, they'll have an affair and then not even tell you until two years later. Well, then what are you going to do about it? You know, oh, I'm sorry, and I changed, and, you know, and he had a porn addiction and all this stuff. And, like, um, I guilted myself for so long for... Also, having an affair during that time. And I had to keep it a secret because obviously I was trying to leave. And secondly, like I already knew that he was having an affair. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, but I had such extreme guilt because I was like, this goes against every moral and value that I have. I've never cheated on anyone in my life. But I'm like, I deserve to feel unconditional love. I deserve to be treated with kindness, you know? And that's what I was getting. You know, and so whenever I left and I experienced unconditional love, safety, joy, gentleness, ease, I I knew that that was possible. But because my nervous system was so addicted to dysfunction and chaos, peace felt like, what is this?
1: Yeah.
0: Where's where's the chaos? Where's the dopamine? You know,
2: <laughs> so, like I'm gonna push back just a little bit yeah. because, like, I believe the institution of marriage is something that is holy and is to be respected, but I don't think that means that you can't leave
1: sure. and that you
2: can't yeah. start over. Like, oh yeah. like, I've been unfaithful to my wife. Yeah. And I, it is the worst thing I've ever done. Yeah. And I, like, I wish everything I could take it back, but she stayed with me and we've worked on building, like, rebuilding right. our relationship. and right. That's something that is really important to me, but. I don't. There were certain things I wasn't getting. Mm-hmm. I even if it wasn't my fault, I don't think it's okay to go outside of your marriage mm-hmm. to try to find that validation mm-hmm. until you are actually going outside of it your, until you're ready to leave right. that marriage. Yeah. And I think that because of the ability to the acceptance of like, well, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it leads you to just stay in the marriage while you go seek that thing, and mm-hmm. I think that's worked. I think it's worse for you. It's worse for the person who can't who's the other who Mm -hmm. can't get all of you. They can never get all of you because you still belong to somebody else. Especially to him like to him, Mm. you know, you belong to him. So how can you ever really give yourself to someone else whenever he to him he owns you and he's gonna keep acting like it? Mm -hmm. And to me, like in you know, in my marriage, I gave myself to my wife.
1: Mm.
2: So I do belong to her. Mm. She gave herself to me. But doesn't mean that I I exercise ownership over her. It's that I am hurt. That's that's a decision I made. It's not mm-hmm. something that she exerts over me. So yeah. I like I, I I stick with that. Like I belong to somebody else. So how am I going to,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, engage in a relationship to any sort mm-hmm. of like fullness whenever I still belong to somebody else? Like right. I need to make the decision to leave, and that's a very brave and hard decision,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but I don't, and I think that you should try to seek happiness while mm-hmm. you're going through that, but I think if you were engaging in a relationship, I, it disrespects the institution of marriage, and you know, maybe that's okay with you, but for me, that's something that is, you know. Well, I
0: don't, I don't ever think that it's okay. Um, it wasn't something that I was actively seeking. Yeah. You know, like it was a a high school friendship, and her and I were literally had always just remained friends, you know, and so this was something that was built on like decades of friendship and literally just happened out of nowhere, you know, through conversation, through talking for hours and hours and hours, you know, and just developed a connection. And, um, you know, I was already so emotionally tapped out as well like I had you know I went from having one child to four in a month you know his older children came to live with us you know and how old were they well you know they had came and lived with us on and off but you know I had you know pretty much known and raised them since they were six and seven Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and um they came in 2015 so the same month that I had my second child I went from being a parent to one to four and with no help. Like I was a single parent in a two parent household. And, um, you know, like my ex-husband never had went to a doctor's appointment, had never, um, been to anything, never been to a parent teacher conference, never been to an IEP meeting, like never been involved in anything like that. You know, I'm, I'm, having a baby wrapped around me doing the dishes, vacuuming while he's playing video games, you know? And so we were an inconvenience for him. And he like verbally said that, like in therapy. And I I remember when I was going to have my hysterectomy, I had a lot of complications because I bled for like six months straight after. So we had to have an ablation done. And then um I had a, a hysterectomy because my, uterus was completely retroverted which means it was laying flat it was 90% flat so it was causing a lot of pain and hip pain and then i ended up having cysts on my ovaries and so i ended up having a hysterectomy and so that was the third time that i had been completely cut open cuz i had two c sections prior to that wow and um <laughs> i was sitting in the bathtub and this was the night before my surgery And he came in and he was like, I hope you're not going to come home and be a fucking bitch. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I've been talking to everybody about work or talking to everybody at work about your surgery. And I heard that your hormones are going to change a whole bunch. And he was like, you better not come come home and think that you're just going to be a bitch. And I was like, what? And, like, then he started talking about sex drive and, like, we were already having, you know, complications because half of the time it was spousal rape, which I didn't know that at the time. And so I thought that me laying in the bed crying, you know, was okay you know even though my body felt like That's it, not
1: okay it's not okay it's not okay
0: and when you say no no is a complete sentence and it's not okay wow and that was that was really hard because i didn't i didn't even have that type of knowledge that that was even a thing until i was at the domestic violence shelter and they had to explain that and i just remember crying because it was just like a flash flood of every single time that that had happened i had to acknowledge that that's what it was and i i just didn't
1: want to
2: this is like it's a very deep and vulnerable thing and thank you for sharing that first off but i want to know like do you think one you were able to survive that better because of the ability to dissociate with your autism and also do you feel like it was harder for you to understand that that wasn't okay because of the, the difficulty in picking up that like quote unquote normal social behavior.
1: I think, I think both of
0: that, I think as a child when I was being abused by my mother, I would disassociate, you know, I would find my happy place. Was but... it, I'm
1: sorry, was this physical or. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, and so when that was occurring, you know, I just remember laying there and thinking of anything that I could, you know, I would think of waking up on a Saturday, being in elementary, and I knew it was Saturday because my dad was up early mowing the lawn and I could hear the lawnmower come by my window and I'd immediately get up and grab a popsicle and go sit outside with him. You know, so like I would always have these like very, Just real memories like come up for me, and I would just. And the next thing you know, it was over, and then he gets up, go to your happy place. Mm -hmm. Next thing, gets up and goes plays the video game, and then actually nothing ever happened, you know. And so, and it's it wasn't always like that. There was majority, you know, a lot of our times was absolutely consensual, you know. But at any time, if I said no or stop or um, times I didn't want to, or if he's trying to wake me up in the middle of the night and I say no, like that wasn't allowed. You know, and then um, if he didn't do it, then I mean, I would be given the silent treatment for a week and I would be threatened that I, I just need to find somebody else because um, I need a freak, you know, and I was always being compared to porn stars and um, my body was always being compared to like Alexis, Texas. And, <laughs> you know, like all of these, I mean, when we got together, he had literally two stacks of burnt CDs that were porn. You know, and would openly watch it in front of me and always threaten to leave, which is a very common thing. They will belittle you, they will nitpick at you. And if you're not if your life doesn't revolve around them, they will threaten to leave you. You know, I need, I just need to find somebody else because that way you're like, No, like I'm sorry, like apologizing for their behavior.
1: Was
2: was that the first sexual assault that you dealt with was with him or No. When was, when was the first time?
0: The first? Mm, I had been sexually assaulted in high school. Um, but then the one that like stands out to me was actually by my ex-boyfriend that I dated for three years in high school. Um, and this was like a year after we had broken up and he was also a narcissist, which I didn't know that. Right. And, um, I mean, I have journal entries from the time that we were together from high school and it just broke my heart reading those last year. You know, I hadn't read my journal in like years and just seeing the push and pull. And, um, it was a year after and we, I had went to a party and I was actually dating someone at that time. And that was the first relationship that i had ever experienced that was not abusive like it was one of the most amazing relationships felt like it was like years but it was only eight months and um it was just incredible and uh he had went out of town and i went to a party and he was there and you know i had no intention on talking to him. Like in fact it was like the complete opposite, you know, like I didn't really want to be around him. But he, you know, very grandiose, very likable. We had music in common. He was, you know, a rapper and we always connected through music and he was like a really great lyricist. He was super funny and um, you know, and then it just became like, hey, like do you want to come back to my house? Like we can like talk and things like that. You know, and I was like, no, you know, and then it's very persuasive and like no like for real like I just want to talk to you about music you know doing a song together and then um you know the house was just like right down the street from where he lived and so um uh I went and more alcohol was involved and I remember I told him I said I just want to go to sleep And I wanted to lay on the couch and he just kept insisting, no, like I'll go lay on the couch. You can lay in my bed. And then next thing you know, like he's just on top of me and I am so intoxicated that I can't move. And I just remember like tears rolling down my face and me asking him to stop. And he's just like, and just like whispering, it's okay. And then I wake up the next morning and I had like bruises in between my legs. And I remember calling, um, there was a police officer that we grew up in junior high with. And I called him because I didn't know what to do. And I was scared to report it because immediately after I had asked him what happened. And he was like saying that we had sex. And I was like, No, like that's not what happened. And he was like, Well, no one's going to believe you. And it just continued. And so I was really scared. And then, plus, I had, and this even was with my ex husband, because I already knew the way that society had demonized Black men over decades. You know, they're animals, they're violent, they're all of these things. And then I felt guilt like oh god like if I report what happened what's gonna happen to him and he's gonna lose his job and then like all of that mindset.
2: You were worried about you know equal reciprocity. Like I mean which is a valid thing to think at any time. Right. You know, does he deserve to you know possibly get killed Mm -hmm. because the police come to a situation. Yeah. Maybe not but that wasn't your problem.
0: It wasn't and I carried that
2: For so long
0: and um he was like you know i can't force you to do anything but i would encourage you to file a report you know but now you know that i've done so much research around these cases and stuff i mean it's it's very hard to get accountability even with with that you know what i mean um there's majority of uh rape cases like get so backlogged (laughs) you know um and the same with reporting violence, you know, um whenever I tried to leave uh, last year, the day that I left, um he he had already been out of town that weekend and was at his new supplies house, which is a new old supply. He had been having an affair with this lady for like three years. Um and I didn't know that's where he was. And I just like had a hunch if I had heard him talking to her on the phone and Um, I was trying to remove the remainder of my stuff out of the house. I had already made it known that I was leaving because he had actually came to me in December and was trying to play that game because I had stopped seeing my therapist for like three months. Uh, He, let me backtrack, that summer of 2021, he had deployed for four months, was supposed to be gone for four months. Mm -hmm. And it's like when he left, the veil just like lifted and like the energy in the house shifted, like kids were coming out of the rooms. Like, I mean, it was just like, we could breathe. Like we weren't suffocated. And, um, I was able to think for myself and have clarity. And I was just like, Oh my God, I stayed. I'm back. You know? And it was just like, and I remember, um, Telling him that I wanted to leave and things like that. So I was like trying to get my shit together. And that's when the love bombing started. He was mirroring my behavior, like saying things like, Oh, I can't believe that I can love again. And I'm meditating and I ordered this book off of Amazon and all of the right things. And um, I was really trying hard to stay in my boundaries of like, that's not my responsibility. Like, I love you. Um, you know, And I, I really want that for you. Like you deserve, you know, and I was being super supportive in that because I, he was so believable. I mean, just like affirming me, giving me, um, affirmations, you know, like all different types of things. And, uh, you're such a great mother, you know, not just to our kids, but, you know, to my older girls and like, you do everything and like all of these things, like everything that I, you would want to hear, like as a spouse, just like. And, um, and then he threatened to kill himself. That was the the second time that that had happened. And he told the military that he wanted to take his roommate's gun and shoot himself in the head. So his roommate had to go tell the supervisor. And he was sent home early. He was supposed to be gone for two months. And I just remember my world shattered. Like, what am I going to do now? Like now he's coming back. And so he literally had bought like a trip to Disney World and um, all of these things, trying to get me to stay. Like mowed the word love in the backyard. <laughs> like bought us bicycles. Like we went on bike rides and um, tried to get back in with my therapist because we had actually had two previous therapy sessions. And one was a family session, which the children were involved in. And, um, that was awful. Like all of the children were in tears immediately. They were terrified to speak in front of him. Um, and they had to go to separate rooms to talk to her. Um, he was very honest that he didn't want his fucking kids. He didn't want this life. He just wants to bodybuild and play video games and that were an inconvenience. And she was trying to get him to understand how the children were feeling. Like, do you understand that, you know, it hurts, you know, Um, he was not there for it. Like the kids were in the room and he was like watching his PlayStation games on his phone.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so that was really devastating. And then we had another session and that's when he was like, you know, yeah, like I want to go to
1: therapy session with you.
0: And then we went, and it was like total opposite. He was saying like the same things. And I think that was a sort of hard awakening for me because she was like repeating to me what he was saying. And I didn't want to hear it. So I was like making excuses and I was in denial. And I was like, Yeah, but, yeah, but she's like, Marilyn, this is what he's saying. And I need you to hear what he's saying.
2: Yeah.
0: And because someone saw him, and was repeating his own words back, he did not like that. And that upset him like really, really bad. And so that turned it, did you see how she treated me in there? And she was attacking me and like all of these things. And, um, and she was like, she was so incredibly validating, like, because, you know, she shared her own story and she was like, you know, I was also raised by a narcissist. And she said, and I developed narcissistic traits as a mother, she said, and it took my son committing suicide for me to wake up, you know what I'm saying? And, um, she was like, you know, no one is attacking you. Like we are, we are trying to bring healing and like validating your children's pain and getting them to understand, like, this is what's happening. And, um, and so, you know, he had messaged the therapist when he came home and was like, hey, like I really want it. She didn't respond, you know, because that's not her client. And um I didn't see my therapist for three months. Um, because and I was accepting of that because she wouldn't see us as a family because, you know, she can't. And as a mandated reporter, you know, mm-hmm. like she can't encourage you to stay with an abuser. And um I was just like, I completely understand, you know, if you have any other people that you can recommend, you know. And um, so I didn't see a therapist for three months. Yeah. And um, and then my daughter and I were watching The Maid on Netflix. And it was in that moment. This was in October. I was like, oh, my God. I stayed again. Again, like just within a couple months. You know, I was like rehooked all over again, mm-hmm. saying, doing all the right things. I mean, he really this was the longest that he had ever ever kept it up it was like three months he kept up that facade vacuuming the house like doing the di- like basic responsibilities like <laughs> yeah. but he wants a thank you like you walk in the house and he like if you don't say anything did you see what I did the dishes like yeah like well we all eat like we all do the dishes like except for you <laughs> you know what I mean like this has been a thing for years um but he wants Recognition all of the time for like doing basic things, and in December he had came to me, and at that time I had already I I messaged my therapist. I was like, please take me back, and she, um, she was like, you know, I will absolutely you know take you back, um, and we can just have a session to see if I'm still a good fit for you. And I'm like, you've always been a good fit, you know, and we started developing a, a safety exit plan. And, um, you know, she had to tell me, like, lean into your health during this time, you know, like, um, to prevent any, like, physical contact with him, you know, like sexual engagements and things like that, Um, like, that you have a migraine, you know what I mean, Um, just to do anything to get him to leave you alone, you know, and you have to, like, play the game, you know, you have to pretend that everything is okay. And like, I love you. And that was so hard for me because I couldn't do that. Like it was so disgusting for me because it wasn't genuine. And then plus the more clarity I had and the more, um, the more I learned to trust my intuition, the more knowledge I had of manipulation that I was being the observer in the conversations. And I could actually like see the word salad happening and stuff I was just like wow like I've literally sat here for two hours and like listen to these conversations that go nowhere like what are we talking about one minute we're talking about how can we budget and then the next minute you're because Trump is president Maryland and I'm like what does that have to do with us budgeting like (laughs) you know yeah and he came to me and was like, um, I don't think we need to be together anymore. And at that time, I couldn't fake it anymore. And I couldn't. Like I I tried so hard because I was saving money. I was developing a plan. I had already been looking for places, like not telling him. I had slowly been moving things out of the house and putting it into my friend's storage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um He did not like that. I wasn't supposed to agree with him. I was supposed to beg for him to stay. And, you know, I had recorded that conversation because I had started recording our conversations because when you've been gaslighted for so long. You don't believe yourself, you know what I'm saying? And Uh so listening back to these conversations was like, oh, my God. Like and so as soon as he would come into a room, you know, I would press record. And um he physically got on top of me and like pushed his head down onto my forehead into the mattress. And he was like, You're gonna effing leave me. And he was like, Tell me, tell me, Marilyn, tell me you don't wanna be together. And I was just like, How can I say anything when you're just purposely intimidating me? And like my body was shaking. And I told myself, I will never let this man see me cry again. You know, and I wanted to so bad because I was terrified. Yeah. And um, then he just further ga- gaslighted and was like, you know, well then you need to get the f out of the house and all of that. And and I'm like, I really started to speak up for myself, which was really dangerous.
1: Yeah.
0: Very dangerous. And having boundaries because narcissists do not respect boundaries. Um, and they have to have access to you 24/7 because you are like their property. And um, I was like, I'm not leaving this house. And if you have a problem with that, then you can leave because I am not uprooting me and my four children. And that's not going to happen. And it was very empowering for me to find my voice because I've never had a voice. I've never been able to speak up for myself. I've always been the people pleaser and the... I mean, even trying to like befriend bullies, you know what I'm saying? Because I just don't understand like why we have to not get along, you know? And that was one of the most empowering moments for me is to say, no, no, if you have a problem with this, then you can leave. And um, I knew at that time that I needed help. And I knew that if I didn't publicly expose him, because I had tried to call his ex supervisor, the base chaplain, to get help, and um, no one was doing anything. Yeah. And so I didn't know what to do. And I was like, I have to publicly ask for help so that way I can get out. And that's exactly what I did. And so I took a risk to expose him. and. Ask for financial help. Um, a previous friend of mine during that time had made a GoFundMe for me and my children. Um, I had people that gave me donations through Cash Up and Venmo and furniture sets. You know what I'm saying? Like literally, once I stood in alignment, like everything came for me after that. And um the weekend that he came home, I had already moved all of our stuff out, um, the majority of our stuff. And I moved the kids' beds and everything. And when he saw that the kids' beds were moved, he was already irritated when he came home. And he was just erratic. And where are the effing mattresses? Those are my beds. I bought them. I'm like, they're not yours. They're the children's. And he called the police on me in front of our children.
1: Wow.
0: He told the police that I didn't even live there. That, I, that he came home to find his ex-wife in his home stealing his property. And so the police showed up. I removed the kids from the house and, um, that was very traumatic as well. Like my six year old is like screaming and crying because he's yelling and berating and he blocked, um, one of my daughters. She was driving my car because he took my car away. And, um, I said, you need to take them to my mom's house, take them to safety, you know, get them out. Um, and he was trying to get her to stay saying that she was a character witness and, you know, so the police came and um, I went across the street and, and sat in the neighbor's parking lot. And I just sat there because I didn't want to be near him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's waving his hands in the air and you can hear him from across the street and she stole this and all this stuff. And then he, they came and talked to me and I told him, I said, I am trying to leave a violent relationship. Like he has abused me and my children for 12 years. I am trying to get the rest of my things out. And they said, well, we're just here for property. And we need you to return the mattress and then told me that if I needed to call for help to if I wanted someone to help me get my things that I need to call the sheriff's office to have them come out and do a standby. Well, come to find out, you have to schedule to do a standby. So it's not even like that they could have came out that day. Right. So. I told the police officers and they left me there alone with my abuser. And so I had friends that came later and helped me move. And I had, you know, that entire day recorded. He did the opposite of what the police did. He put all my belongings out on the front porch. And um, kept asking are you can have your effing friends come help me or come help me get your stuff. And um, my two friends came. I asked him to stay inside of the house.
1: He didn't want to stay
0: inside. He came outside of the garage and was like smacking the light. Um, making fat shaming comments to her, like, you know, snacking his fist together. And, um, it started to escalate. And then he called someone that I now know is his coworker and was like, I'm about to smash on these mother effers. It's about to get crazy. And I called the police. Um, I called 911 and I mean, while I was on the phone with dispatch, it was such a short time. Um, the other person's back was turned and they were headed to the car and putting my belongings in the car. And he tried to attack him from behind. Mm-hmm. And the other guy just turned around and picked him up and body slammed him on the ground. And so my ex had a huge gash on the back of his head. Um, like he didn't further go at him. Like literally, like it was just immediate, like self-defense of like, I have to put you down. You
1: know what That's I mean? That's
0: Correct. And, um, I was still on dispatch that entire time until the police arrived and um, like his first response whenever he came to like, I mean, it was so horrific because he started bleeding really bad. My oldest daughter came outside like, and, um, and I don't care like what you've done to me. Like I, I have a very intolerant for pain, seeing people in pain and like, it was horrific. and. Um, I ain't let nobody pick me up. That was his first response. And then he was who hit me in my head. And, you know, and so like it just it turned into that. And then the next day um, I moved out the rest of my stuff that evening. And the next day I went to Palomar um, to try to get help and file my first DHS report, which was screened out. And then the day after that, I went to Women's Resource Center to um, file a VPO, and he had already filed one on me. And so we can definitely get into that later on um, for a second half. But uh, yeah, that turned into a, a wild ride, and here we are almost two years later still in court litigations and proceedings and um, it's been almost two years and I have still not presented any evidence in court.
2: Wow.
1: So that's
2: yep. definitely a situation stacked against you being able to leave and yeah. get what you need. That's, I've got a spider on my mic.
1: There's a spider? Oh, it's a jumping spider. Can I get of it? Of course. It's, yeah, go for it. Oh my God, you're <laughs> We secured the spider.
2: Thank you so much for doing that, because <laughs> I don't know anything about spiders, and I assume they're all going to kill me. But I wasn't <laughs> okay. like I don't want to kill them. Like I know that they're very helpful to the environment. So.
1: Well, I I just love jumping spiders, and this has been a new thing
0: because I used to be terrified of spiders, but like the last few years, I've been spiders, and I will spend like 30 minutes like beat my friend. Sorry, <laughs> I have to know we ran over a
2: bit. Um. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't want to end there. Like, there's yes. a couple more things because I I know that you are so much more than just yes. your your survival story mm. and it's a very important part of who you are. But I also want to talk about just a couple other things. Mm-hmm. Try to keep it maybe 15 minutes total.
1: Okay.
2: Um, so something we touched on briefly in our previous conversation is your struggle to just hang out with people yeah. who share your passion. Yeah. Like, but it's been a struggle um. because there's a certain perception put on you as a woman that you can't just hang out with men. Yeah. Can, you, can you talk some more about that?
0: Um, I think like for women, like it, it is really challenging to find platonic relationships with men. And um, I've only had a couple. So it's been very slim because, like, a lot of men that I literally thought um, were my friends and, like, I really loved and valued, at the end of the day, were always just looking for sex for me.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, like, that was devastating. And it's, like, they would make inappropriate comments and sexualize my body. And it's, like, I would excuse it. And, like, oh, they're just joking. or And I tolerated it because I wanted to like hold on to that friendship. You know what I mean?
2: Do you, do you feel like that was increased by neurodiversity? Like having someone see so much of you that you appreciated, but then excusing the other part that they, because you just wanted to have that relationship.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think just being so vulnerable and like, naive a lot of times as well like um and trying to believe when people say like they're just kidding or you know what i mean like whatever um but then like when it's reoccurring you know what i mean um and women i think are ingrained to like tolerate that too because it's like you know we're taught that if if you're wearing anything you're asking for it or you know, whatever. And it's like, that's another thing is like, um, that goes along with like abusers are predators, you know? And I don't believe that anything a woman does, like she's asking for it. (laughs) I think that no is a complete sentence and, um, anything that is not consensual is rape. Like Mm -hmm. that is just very straightforward. Like you have to consent. To anything that has to do with your body. And if you're not consenting to that, like it is rape, like hands down.
2: And consent can change at any time.
0: Absolutely. It. You could be in the middle of yeah. intercourse. And if you say, I don't want to do this anymore, I don't want to do this anymore. And, um you know, the men in my life have been very persuasive, like, but it's okay. And, you know, like trying to coerce you into staying in that moment. And that's where it's like, well, then I'm afraid if I don't stay in this moment and if I do anything, is he going to get more forceful? Well, he's stronger than me. He's taller than me. You know, so all of these thoughts though, I'm just going to disassociate and I'm going to wait till it's over, Mm -hmm. you know, and then just like put it out of my mind, you know? And so when we talk about chakras, like, you know, women store a lot of trauma in their hips and in their sacral area because of a lot of sexual trauma, you know? And so doing a lot of wound work and stuff you know, I've done for the last two years of just really like healing those pains, you know, and releasing that. Like I don't have hip pain anymore. <laughs> um, even after I had my hysterectomy, you know, I I intercourse was like super painful. Like, uh, I mean, I always had painful intercourse, and that's one reason like I, I didn't like to have sex because it hurts,
2: you know. We we talked about this in our last episode that like I like to try kind to of strip away the ideology and take away the the thing about that and you're talking about you know body work and mm-hmm. chakras and like i read i haven't finished reading but i've been mm-hmm. reading this book about how your body holds trauma it's by um oh gosh never mind i'm not gonna remember who it's by body but keeps score no it's not okay. that one. Um that's a good that. <laughs> but it, it just talks a lot about how if you have unresolved trauma it is going to affect you physically mm-hmm. you are going to have pain you are going to like it's going to hold your body back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether you look at it as chakra work and, you know, meditation and yoga and healing that way, or you mm-hmm. look at it as mindfulness and, mm-hmm. you know, or therapy or whatever, the mm-hmm. ultimate thing is that no matter how you look, at, look at it, <clears throat> when you experience things, your body is experiencing those things and there is going to be, there's going to be a, a residual effect. Mm-hmm. Like that's the science. Yeah. So I just want, you know, I want people. Yeah. I really want people to be able to understand that there is something to take away from anybody who has some sort of healing journey. Like, I don't do, like, I'm working on my yoga practice very, very beginning. But I want other people who don't believe in yoga at all to understand Mm -hmm. that the overarching theme that connects us all is that we all need to heal from our Mm -hmm. traumas yeah and you know if if you don't want to do yoga you still need to take the idea that your body is holding on to the things that that have hurt you yeah and you can do any
0: type of like somatic movements are very important like for trauma survivors and you can do that through dancing or any any type of somatic movements to just move the, the energy in the body and like you know with yoga like that's a way of life it's not just about stretching it's about who you are to yourself who you are to others how you act you know mindfulness is a huge part of that and um that's one thing for me that I've really struggled with is when you're trying to reset the nervous system you can't just jump into these big movements and because like the fascia in our tissues is is what surrounds the Mm muscles and it's the trauma is what gets stored in the fascia. So it's not our muscles itself that gets tight, it's the fascia around it that compact everything. Then you get shoulders to your ears, forward head posture, you know, because you're trying to guard and protect your heart. You've always been in survival. And so learning to open up the chest and really expanding and doing these smaller but impactful movements to help regulate the nervous system is like so important for healing and so I've had to really be gentle with myself because it is hard to look in the bo- in, in the mirror and see like god I've lost a lot of muscle mass you know mm-hmm. but understanding that like I can't just jump into going and you know doing leg extensions and things like that because my nervous system has to rest and repair
1: yeah
0: I have to get back to a parasympathetic state my adrenal glands have to regulate. And that can take up to three years wow. for your body to regulate itself. And so it's that in itself is a journey. My my body didn't take overnight to develop these illnesses. So it's going to take years to heal from, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and
0: one day, I mean, I do hope to be able to like, say like, I don't have to be on disability anymore. You know, I, I want to be, um, so financially abundant, you know, where that's not something that I need. Um, you know, but I'm so grateful for the ways that it's serving me in this time and that it gives me the opportunity to rest and repair. And I know that, like, it's more important for me of, like, how do I feel? Yeah. Not about how I look right now, but how do I feel? Like, how is my body feeling? You know what I mean? Like,
1: how
2: how is it? Serving me? is yes. it like, Am I able to do the things I want Correct. to do? Correct. Yes. And even if the answer is no, it's that's okay. It is. It's just, yeah. You know, noticing and staying with that. Yeah. Before we move too far away from that subject, so I'm coming from the other side. Like I have lost or destroyed a lot of relationships because I couldn't differentiate between being interested in someone and being attracted to them. Mm. And even today, I still like I still struggle with the terminology. So you can be attracted to a personality. I'm a straight man if that personality belongs to another straight man, it's safe. Right. Right. But if I'm attracted to that personality and it belongs to a woman, whether she's straight or not, now Mm -hmm. it's a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. And so like that thought is, is hard for me to wrap my mind around. So I've tried to focus on my intention Mm -hmm. and, you know, being above board in the relationships that I'm trying to maintain and Mm -hmm. acting in a way that, you know, is in alignment with my beliefs. And Mm -hmm. that's, I want to be able to have, I've always felt safer with women. Yeah. You know, being a black man is really Mm -hmm. easy to have people be intimidated by you and therefore treat you as if you don't deserve love. Yeah. And that's something that I've, I've struggled with for a large part of my life. Mm -hmm. So women have always been more accepting to me, more accepting to me being emotional and talking about how I feel and, Mm -hmm. you know, whether I was always honest with those things, that's a more recent thing, but, still that was really difficult for me but oh yeah so the intention is the focusing on labels but for a long time i did have intention like bad intention i just Mm -hmm. lied to myself and everyone else about it so like i wanted pretty girls to like me Mm
1: -hmm.
2: i wanted validation from pretty women because that's that's what was much easier for me to get Because I was never going to get it from the most powerful opinion for me at all times was white men. Oh
1: wow, yeah.
2: They're not going to give it to me, but that's you know I. My mom used to tell a story about me when I was a little kid where I'd say, I want I grew when I went when I grow up I want to be a white doctor. Like wow, that to me is so telling of the influence that that archetype had in my life.
1: Wow, yeah.
2: And whenever I didn't receive that at all. Mm. I went to the next best thing, and that was white women. Mm. And I did not have hardly any relationships with any Black people at all, Mm. but especially not Black women. White women were the, that was it. And it was easy because I didn't fit as a typical Black guy, but I was still Black, so I was exciting. Mm. And, you know, I was well-spoken, so I was acceptable.
1: Mm. I was
2: one of them enough,
0: Mm. but
2: not enough at the same time. So
0: And there's so many women that, white women that glorify black bodies but they don't advocate for black communities you know what I mean and I feel like that's a thing to really like take stereotypes with black bodies and like I want that I want to experience that but then discard you know what I mean like I see that a
1: lot
2: so for some reason the gamification of my brain made the opinions of white women worth more so it's like mm. scoring points like I wanted to rack more of those up Ooh. and I was willing to like sacrifice whatever to get it mm-hmm. like I would flirt with women while I was a married man mm-hmm. I would you know I'd be more open to going farther in a conversation than was really safe because I thought if I just did this now they'll like me a mm. compliment their appearance which is not it's not what you do whenever right. you're a married man. Like you, if you find somebody interesting, that's, you know, that's one thing. But to be talking about women and how they look is objectification.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's something that I didn't really, you know, I didn't get the memo on for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So have you ever felt like somebody else was using you to boost their own self worth and the way that I kind of did whenever I was much unhealthier. And how did that affect you?
1: Let me repeat that again?
2: Did you feel like, like I, you know, like I said, the, you being a white woman
1: mm-hmm.
2: in that unhealthy state, your opinion would have been worth more to me. So I would have mm-hmm. used you in a way to boost myself up. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel like you were in those kinds of relationships and how did that affect your identity?
0: Yeah, I was, I was like labeled as like a snow bunny. mm mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm trying to tap that. I'm trying to try to hit that. You know what I mean? And, um, I think because of my body, the way that my body was shaped, like that was like more intriguing for men, you know, as a white woman. And so it kind of became one of those things, um, you know, where I want to experience that. Like I had a really close friend, um, tell me one time like you know because I had kind of started developing like feelings for him at least I thought I I was you know and I remember he told me and it was a very honest answer so I had to respect it you know um but it was also very hurtful because I was able to see is this what our relationship is and um and we hadn't messed around like I mean like a decade you know like we were really young and uh, we had always just like made friends. And he had said, I'm scared to open that door because I am so sexually attracted to you. And he said, and I'm afraid that it's just that. And I was like, dang, that sucks, man. But like, thank you for being
1: yeah. fucking
0: honest. Like, I really do like appreciate that. But dang, like I thought we had so much more than that, like on a friendship level, like, cause we would have like super deep conversations. And I had to think, like, is this how you've always viewed me? You know, and like that's like really was a hard place to be in. And I think a part of one of my lessons it's been like this for like over a year now is to surrender and let go. Let go of those attachments. Like let go. Like nobody belongs to you. You don't own anyone. You don't belong to anyone either. And it's an act of choice to you get to choose the energy that you want to be in and you want to be around. Um and there was like a book, uh God, I forget what it was called, but um, dang, I have to find it. But he was talking about the relationship with his wife, and he said, you know, um, it might have even been the four agreements. I'm not for sure, but he was talking about um how in relationship, like even with his wife, that he was like, I had to understand that she doesn't own me, and vice versa, and that at any moment. If she was to come to me and say, you know, I don't want this anymore and I don't feel connected to you in that way. I have to respect that because I don't own her and no one belongs to you. And I was like, wow. And that's really hard because I think, too, in our society, like you have this narrative of like, you just have to have one person for the rest of your life. And like, plus, we're like so sexualized at a young age five years old, you got a little boyfriend, you got a little girlfriend. And it's like, no, I'm coloring with crayons, (laughs) you know? And he was like, but he said, what, what an, uh, an honor and a privilege it is to every day, wake up and choose each other, you know? So like to be grateful for that, like another day with her, another day that we have chosen to be in this love relationship with each other. I was like, that's really powerful. And um I think it's just been a lesson for me to like release attachments because that's one of the biggest, I think, like not a setback, but um can put you on like hold in the things that are actually meant for you and in alignment for you, and it can be a a lack of progression and limit the ways that you're capable of like receiving love and having meaningful connections Mm -hmm. by being attached to everyone and everything. So having to release attachments, knowing that like, I can't, I can't take anyone or anything with me. And I don't want to have control over someone. And so how can I release that and say, wow, like, I love you so much. Like, thank you for this experience. Thank you for this season that you gave me. So really learning to like be grateful for the the connections that I've had and really just sit and reflect on like, what did I learn from this? What is the wisdom that I can gain from this experience and release that attachment? Because if I become attached to everyone, that's one, that's codependency too. Yeah. And so, I don't want to be codependent anymore. You know, I want to have freedom and understand that people also have that same freedom from me. If you feel like that I am and am not contributing to your growth or I'm not being the best friend that I could be to you, or we're on two different healing journeys, and you need to disconnect from me. Like, I love you and I support you. and I don't take it personal. You know what I mean? Because like, You're again, also, it doesn't always have to be like a villain, but you are the villain in other people's stories. And you can also just have relationships where
2: it's just the end of the season, you know? Yeah, I think the way that I look at that towards marriage specifically is that it's really so much about being present, Mm -hmm. being intentional, and like saying, I want to be in this in this day, this daily cycle of choosing my wife, I want to be here. I need to be present and mindful of the fact that I'm choosing to be here. And I want to do the work to have a stronger connection. I don't think it should be like her constantly pushing me to stay or to mm-hmm. be here or to be present or put in the work. Right. It's, it, if it's not about you personally, Wanting to be there and wanting to do those things, maybe it's not right for you anymore. And, yeah. you know, that, that's, what I, that's what I hope for people. All right. One last question before we wrap it up.
0: Sure. Um, I do want to say, because you made a comment. Go
2: ahead and
1: come yeah. in. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I think one of the best decisions that you can make for yourself and for the collective is healing. doing the healing work like what a gift that is to the universe and everyone around you is taking the time to say I love myself and I love those around me and so I'm going to do the work I'm going to face my shadows I'm going to dig deep and I'm going to be raw and vulnerable and messy and like work on myself because I deserve that And then once you do that, it's a ripple. It magnifies because everything is energy, you know? And so I think that's really beautiful to be able to actively make that choice and come into awareness of healing and then choose that. Because once you choose to do that,
1: everything around
0: you will start responding to that. And everything that isn't meant for you and that is not meant to go with you into that next chapter, like it'll start rolling off your back like water. You know, Absolutely. and you just gotta let it go, like Elsa said. You
2: know? <laughs> So I like I can't let the conversation end without something I promised in the sure. intro, yeah. and that's talking about your past lives. Okay. Like oh yeah. <laughs> so like this this is important for me to like make a little bit of a of a preface because I I I think as a facilitator of this show it is really important for me to allow people to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I'm going to identify with every story that's told yeah but i'm really curious about this yeah. so it's like it's something that is you know might be a lot would consider woo woo. Like yeah I, I would even say it goes a little bit for me but yeah. i'm curious to like hear what the process is like 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 let's just like talk me through how you learned about this what the first time was like and what it entailed
0: i'm and i'm still learning like i don't know everything there is to know either um it's just one of those things that like has come up in like really deep meditations and things like that for me. Um and all of them I have correlated have like very significance on the generational patterns and um even down to like chronic illnesses and things like that that helps me understand my purpose and what I'm here to do. Has so really solidified that for me. Um,
2: so this hasn't been a guided thing where you've gone to somebody. Mm-hmm. This has just been through yeah. your meditation, yeah. you have felt an influence mm-hmm. that you align with being your past life.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Um the most recent one that I found was um King to common And he was nineteen years old when he passed. He was nine years old when he started his reign. And I think nine is such a beautiful number anyway um because it's the completion of a cycle it's um an end and a beginning to something new and he suffered like terrible illnesses i mean like the list of things that he had which you have to understand like incest was a huge thing back then to keep the bloodline going
2: most royal yes
0: and so like um but a lot of what he had like he had um he had connective tissue disorder, which is very common in neurodivergent people. Mm. Um, you know, fibromyalgia, um, uh, nerve problems, like a whole list of other things. But really, where it came up for me, he actually revealed himself to me in a dream that I had. And when I started doing more research, which is funny because the week prior to that, I was given a Egyptian book
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. um, by a friend of mine, and um, His coordinates, one of his coordinates, uh, where his tomb is actually located, equals my life path number, which is eight. So like, yeah. It was (laughs) really it is. I love numerology, um, and like sacred geometry and stuff. Like I'm always that person that's like looking at lights and plates and billboards and just, you know, anything that jumps out to me, you know. Um, but that was really cool. And then the next day I'm like driving down the street and this Person is like having a garage sale, and I was like, "Eh, I'll go in there and see. Got a huge Tutankhamun statue that's worth like $200 for five bucks. Hmm. It was like the most oddball thing in there because it was like an older couple and they just had like little knickknacks and stuff. And there was this random Egyptian statue
2: at this place that you stopped by randomly. Yes.
0: And I was like, what is this? And so, um, uh, he also had two children that were stillborns and every, almost every person that I've come across in my past life has also had two children. Um, so the one that I'm kind of like a little bit stumped on as far as like children wise, which I think that she did have another son, which is Moses's mother. Um, but the correlation between all of these is like through the native woman that lost her children to boarding schools that were taken from her. Um, To Mary, which is Moses's mother, who had to give up her child in an act to save his life because of the murder of all the firstborn sons. And so I've noticed this. An excessive generational loss of abuse, violence, um, that is just very systematic throughout all of these systems with Native Americans with Egyptians, with slavery during that time as well. And um, fast forwarding to now, I'm able to see how that affects my current reality of like, this is a history of chronic abuse and a cycle that has to end with me. Mm -hmm. So I feel like now my purpose is to be the ones who end those generational cycles to be the one to say no more, that this this is not going to continue on with my children's DNA. And if they choose to have children, that um, it ends with me, you know?
2: I could ask many, many yeah. more questions off of that, but we've got to yes. wrap up. <laughs> Latricia Finley, I'm about to interview next, and I want to make sure that I'm mindful of her time because she's been so Absolutely. patient. So um, first- real quick, can you talk about whatever, what services, offerings, whatever else you have right now? Like, this is your platform for yeah. a couple minutes to plug whatever you want.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, I am a certified educator in narcissism, narcissistic abuse, attachment theory. And I am a uh, Reiki and yoga practitioner as well. And then um, I have my podcast now with my best friend. I am no longer taking new clients for hair I'm actually like really like kind of like an on edge but really amazing thing to say because I've been trying to get away from hair for like years and so I just feel like really excited to be able to like finally like release that um and be excited for like what is coming to me and like doing things that I actually want to do um I do art I love to paint I make Handmade crystal jewelry and um, all types of things. I have a vendor show coming up at Crossroads Church on um, 89th. Um, They're doing like a holiday uh, market thing. Um, What
2: will that be? Because this might be out much after that.
0: It is. It is. It's not until November 24th, I believe. So no, it's a ways out. They'll
2: be
1: close though. Again. It's a
0: ways out. But if you follow me on social media, yeah. um, the wounded lotus is my Instagram tag. Um, and you can also follow me like on Facebook, um, under my name. And then um our podcast is really what I want to focus on um and promote. Um my TikTok is Marilyn, and then our podcast is the marvelous Mastonic Muggles. Um, but I think it's MMM Podcast 23. Mm -hmm. And that is really where a lot of my focus is going because we are highlighting domestic violence. We're talking about so many different things. So we release episodes every Monday and then uh, we will actually be back on on October 3rd. And then we do Fantastic Fridays on Friday where we just spend like an hour telling jokes, laughing, being silly because we just fully believe that laughter is healing and we're just big kids anyway
2: so real quick if you could give one piece of advice to specifically neurodivergent women mm-hmm. to help them avoid abuse sexual or domestic what would that be
1: mm.
0: develop so much love for yourself that you gain the courage to never accept anything less than.
2: Hmm. Never. That's, that was a good, Thanks. that was a very good thing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: That's Simon Understood. So you, you let us know where you live online um. Thank you so much thank for coming you, today. Thanks for coming back and doing a second interview. I don't know. We might have to do a third because we still yeah. we still <laughs> didn't get it all in. It's so hard much. to
0: compact, you know, like thirty plus years in two hours. So.
2: Though, like sometimes I get done with people in an hour, and you know, and the store yeah. are good, you know, nice conversation, yeah. but. You know, maybe it's just because we're, no, we're neurodivergent. And we have so much more yeah. that we want, to, we want to share with the world. Maybe yeah, we're
1: we those people
0: that like, we just meet you and I'm like, now you know my whole life story in five <laughs> minutes, you know?
2: We, we call it a <laughs> Hallmark conversations where you meet That's somebody great. and then you immediately just go like, yeah. here's my whole life story. My wife yeah. coined that. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review. I really appreciate the feedback and it helps me get heard by more listeners. Follow this podcast so you get updates about new episodes and live streams. If you are interested in bonus or behind-the-scenes content, go check out the Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander Patreon page. Share this episode with someone you think might enjoy it right now. Check out earlier episodes to support the future creation of great content, and don't forget to like Add Authentic Identity Management on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and LinkedIn. You can also head over to the Authentic Bruce YouTube page, on chan- or YouTube channel, for a podcast, video, and impactful clips from my conversations with these great guests. Finally, if you are struggling to show up as yourself in your content, your work, your family, or your life, I would love to help you. Authentic Identity Management does authenticity and identity coaching to help you align your true self with the identity you share with the world. It's exhausting to live someone else's life. Live authentically and access the potential that belongs only to you. You can contact me on social or email me at bruce at authenticidentitymanagement.com to set up a free 30-minute consultation. That is it for today's episode with Marilyn Pennyfeather. Thank you so much Thank again. You. Thank you for listening, everyone. Until next time, be yourself and love yourself.
1: You're doing great. Bye.